You know, you always come to church, and there are times, I don't know about you, but where you feel like God has said something specifically to you, almost like nobody else probably got this, but man, that was specifically for me. Um, our church in Chiang Mai, Thailand, just like yours probably, was online for, I don't know, more of, than a year, and we had, this, we had to figure out how to do that. Nobody knew how to, how to go online. And uh, I was a little bit of a part of helping our church figure that out, which is hilarious because I'm not at all tech savvy. But anyway, we had the announcements kind of rolling through before the, before the meeting started. In that song, All I Have is Christ, for the last year or more, not this, you know, when we were online, that was the song that played back in the background of those announcements. And so this morning, I'm sitting here and we're singing this together. And I'm like, I'm at home. Like, it was just an incredible thing. I, I, I can hardly express it. I can't wait to tell Melanie about that. Um, that was just really a special moment for me. Um, so thank you uh, for choosing that. Obviously, you couldn't have known that. And uh, the Lord just, he just blesses us, doesn't he? Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm Chip Hill, and uh, I'm grateful to be here with you this morning. As, uh, as Pastor Jeff and Larry mentioned, I, I'm here without my family and I apologize for that. Uh, I realize that out of all of us, I'm the least attractive one of the bunch. Um, I have a beautiful family, and I'm so grateful that you have a picture. I need to send you a, a newer one. Uh, our family is, getting, is growing up, but we are grateful for the, the partnership and the love that we, is, we have received from, from this body over many years, and it's an honor this morning to be able to come and, uh, and share the word of God with you. Um, and then again, as was mentioned, I'll be sharing a bit about our adult Bible, uh, about our ministry during the ABF time after the service. So I, I look forward to doing that as well. Um, so Mel and the kids, our girls are in Richmond, Virginia. We've never lived in Richmond. We don't really know anyone in Richmond, but a friend had a house uh, that we were able to rent there. Uh, we've just spent the last two months on the road, uh, got to Richmond about a week ago, um, and Melanie told me when we pulled into the, into the driveway, um, do you know that we've had 18 transitions since we landed in the States in June? She said 18 times we've packed our bags, we've put them in the car, we've driven somewhere, we've unpacked the car and slept. 18, I hadn't thought of it that way, but uh, she's grateful for the opportunity to be able to stay in Richmond this morning and to have me represent her, and so I thank you for the grace of being able to represent the family. Um, as I said, I, I know it would be better if they were here, um, but I, I really appreciate the grace of having them there. Hudson has just finished his first week back in college, and he's doing great. Thank you so much for your prayers for him. Uh, Joel is actually flying into Richmond this evening, so I'll be driving back to pick him up at the airport. He spent the summer working at a ranch in Texas. I mean, that sounds awesome, right, working at a ranch in Texas? Um, it sounds great to me. I think he would say it's very hot, um, but we're grateful uh, that he's been able to do that, and, uh, and we're looking forward to just kind of figuring out life and, um, in these next few months. We'll be in the States uh, through the end of the year and uh, get to spend holidays with family. Uh, so that's just a quick update on the family. Uh, this morning, I'm, I'm excited to be able to talk to you about the idea of lament and uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it sounds sad, but honestly, it's been one of the, one of the more beautiful ways that the Lord has, has uh, helped me to get to know him and, and to experience him. 
So I want to start this morning just by reading a few verses from Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. Um, he wrote two letters, as you probably know, and uh, a bit of background. The Thessalonians were an oppressed people. They were Jewish and Greek background believers uh, in a place where they were, they were sometimes tortured for their faith. Uh, they were certainly discriminated against, and there was quite a lot of persecution. And in the opening verses of both of these letters, Paul commends their endurance and their faith. So from 1 Thessalonians in chapter 1, verses 4 to 6. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model for all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Paul goes on to say just a few verses later that the gospel rang out from them beyond Macedonia and Achaia. In fact, that everyone in the world knew of the faith of this church. And then in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 1, in the opening verses, in verses 3 and 4, he says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you have for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. What a testimony. What, what would it be like to receive a letter like that? What would it be like to live in such a way that would warrant a letter like that? Well, there's no doubt for many this has been a season of trials and persecution and perhaps for some of you severe suffering. How has your faith been in the midst of that? How about your love for one another? What about joy? I can tell you that in my house, joy is probably not the word Melanie would go to as the word to describe how I've been doing in this season of struggle and trial. So how do we live like this? How do we live in such a way? How do we come through persecution and struggle, pain and sorrow with endurance, growing faith and love for one another? Enjoy. It's a timely question. There's an awful lot of hurt in the world right now. And I'd reckon that here in this room, there's also some hurt, those of you following online. Suffering is not uncommon and not an experience that we are unfamiliar with these days. Brothers and sisters, the gospel has something to say about that to us this morning. There is good news in the midst of the storm. Last week, I was able to follow your service on the live stream. Uh, well, I didn't follow it while it was happening, but afterwards, I, I watched the service. And Larry uh, introduced Jeff, and when Jeff got up, I thought, wow, Jeff's really changed. Uh, it wasn't Pastor Jeff. It was a, another gentleman in the, in the audience named Jeff who came and read from Psalm 119. But in the words that he said before he invited Jeff up, this is what, this is what you said, Larry. You said, these words, speaking of those in Psalm 119, are here to keep us from falling apart. 
He said, many in this body are feeling dry and useless. We are oppressed on every side. We are looking for comfort. Pastor Jeff then went on to share from the book of Ecclesiastes how Jesus is our hope in times of confusion and difficulty. And today we're going to look at the book of Lamentations. And we're going to see there that there is good news in the midst of the storm. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for those verses that we, that we read together from Psalm 119 that point to the enduring truth of your word. And we pray that your word would speak. Lord, would you speak uh, to your people this morning and let us all be fertile soil for whatever work or, or thing that you might want to do in our lives. Would you open our hearts and our minds. Lord, would the, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Most commentators say that Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. It's a book of poems that articulate in graphic detail the agony of the fall of the city of Jerusalem and the captivity of God's people. And it's five chapters, and we're not going to go verse by verse, I promise. <laughs> Uh, but I do want to just talk about a few passages from this amazing book and encourage you uh, to spend some time reading it over this next week. There are a few things that I have found incredibly encouraging about this book. Uh, first, uh, three things. First, I see a, a, an honesty in the book of Lamentations. I see an unhurriedness. There's an unhurried nature to the communication between Jeremiah and God. And I see hope. So I'd like to talk about those three things with you this morning. Honesty, unhurried, and hope. So first, um, there is honesty about reality. In Lamentations chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he writes, How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are upon her cheeks. Among all her lovers there is none to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. Jeremiah is describing what he sees, a devastated city where before people were reveling in the streets, now the streets are deserted. Once a royal place, it's now a place of slaves. Jerusalem cries tears for the lack of comfort and from betrayal. Now, we read in, in the book of Jeremiah in chapter 1 that Jeremiah was called by God to share his word, uh, to speak truth to God's people. And that truth um, came, uh, God's word came to him in the 13th year of King Josiah, through the reign of Jehoiakim down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, where the people of Jerusalem were taken into exile. And you may remember Josiah was uh, a young king. He became king at the age of eight, and he was a good king. Uh, Josiah found the book of the law and had it read to the people of Judah. Uh, and after many years of just evil uh, leadership, Josiah turned the people of Judah back to God, and they prayed and they worshiped. He was a good king. We name our kids Josiah. Uh, is a God-honoring and faithful man. 
probably not too many kids are named Jehoiakim or Zedekiah. They did evil in the sight of God. And Jeremiah spoke God's truth to them. He warned them of God's coming judgment. He spoke about the wickedness of their sin and called them to turn back to God, but they didn't listen. Or maybe they didn't believe that he was speaking God's words. There were other prophets that were giving him a much different perspective. But what's interesting is the Babylonian um, takeover was not a sudden thing. It actually took place over time. In Jeremiah's time, uh, kings were, were paying tribute to both Egypt and to Babylon, and, and some of their kings had been deposed by foreign nations. But these kings, they somehow just refused to hear what it was that Jeremiah was saying. And I can't help but wonder about these kings. How could they have been so deceived? Maybe they believed that nothing could happen to them. After all, they were God's chosen people. They were safe. Or maybe they thought that what they were doing and turning back turning to idol worship and desecrating the temple of God, maybe it wasn't as bad as Jeremiah was making out. In, many case, in any case, they, they refused to listen to Jeremiah. There was an utter lack of acceptance of reality. There was a dishonesty in the way that they were viewing what was happening around them. Their eyes were blind to what was real. And while the kings he spoke to refused to listen to what he had to say or refused to accept what was true, the Babylonians came and took them away, and they became slaves. The people of God were bearing the yoke of slavery once again. And to the, degree, to the degree that the kings were not able to be honest, to that degree we see a kind of raw honesty in this book of Lamentations. He's not writing about what he wishes or what he wishes wasn't. He's writing about truth, honest, ugly truth. He describes in uncomfortable detail the devastation that he's living in. And he uses very descriptive words to show the demise of the great city of Jerusalem, which in many ways represents the people of God. And so not only is he writing about Jerusalem's fall, but he's writing about the fall of the people of God. Soon Chan Ra uh, wrote a book called Prophetic Lament. It's a commentary on the book of Lamentations. He says, Lamentations begins with a funeral dirge. Before any answers can be given, a post-mortem must be offered. There's a sense that in order to honor the reality, you have to actually look at it and count it. You have to measure the impact of what has taken place. We're not skipping over this part to jump to the more pleasant bit. No, Jeremiah is saying this is awful. You may want to turn away because it's just so terrible, but it, it's there when you turn back. Before we skip on to what's good, we have to have time to reckon what's taking place and the time to mourn. In chapter 1, Jerusalem is personified as a woman, a scorned and rejected woman. Uh, in verses 12 and 13, we read, the enemy laid hands on all her treasures. She saw pagan nations enter her sanctuary, those you had forget, forbidden to enter your assembly. All her people groan as they search for bread. They barter their treasures for food to keep themselves alive. The time of merrymaking and feasting had gone, and now they were selling their very treasures just to have enough food to live. There's no sugar coating. 
poet under the inspiration of God is not leaving any doubt. The situation is bleak. And it's funny when you think about honesty with God. I mean, when we pray to God, we know that we're praying uh, to an all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God. In fact, we, we believe that he already knows what's in our hearts before we pray. And yet, very often when we pray, we kind of bring our always-look-on-the-bright-side kind of culture into that prayer, and we keep things kind of surfacey. We, we don't open ourselves up to the depth of our, of our joy or the depth of our sorrow in prayer. We keep it polite and safe. I think hopefully there's people in your life that when you say, hey, how's it going, and you can tell uh, that they're not doing so well, maybe, maybe, they, maybe for some they say, oh, you know, it's fine, I'm good, but what about you? But hopefully there's some people who might look at you when you say that and say, no, wait a minute. Come on, tell me what's really going on. In a sense, that's, that's what Jeremiah is doing here. He's not saying, God, thank you for, you know, all the good stuff. He, he's saying, God, we're in trouble. I am desperate. I need you. And this is in our Bibles. You see, God desires intimacy with us. He desires deep connection. He's not interested in surface-level relationships. Just like those very close to you, those close relationships with you will not tolerate that kind of interaction, he wants the depths of our souls. But the bottom line is that we often don't know how to pray or talk to him with the kind of raw honesty that Jeremiah uses. And here the book of Lamentations can, can be helpful. We can learn from these poems of lament. We can learn how to pray. So there's an honesty in Lamentations, and it, it's, also, it's also unhurried. Um, the descriptions given in the book of Lamentations are thorough, at least. The writer is very intentional, and the poems are long. Um, and I don't know if you realize this, but it's very similar to Psalm 119 in that the book of Lamentations is an acrostic. So when you look at Psalm 119, you can see each section starts with a letter or a word in the Hebrew alphabet, and each line in that stanza starts with that letter. It's an acrostic. It goes through the whole Hebrew alphabet. And in, and in Lamentations chapters 1, 2, and 4, there's 22 verses, and each line begins with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet in order. Chapter 3 also is an acrostic, but he gives three verses for each letter. So there's 66 verses in chapter 3. Uh, chapter 5 is not an acrostic, but it certainly continues in that pattern of lament. And when you're thinking about writing like that, you've got to think about it a little differently. You don't just start writing. You have to be very careful about what you say. It's, it's got to follow each pattern. Uh, I believe it was said about Winston Churchill, one of the greatest orators of our time, or modern history, when he was asked how long it took him to prepare a speech. He said, if you want me to speak for two hours, I, I'm ready. I can do it right now. But if you want me to speak for two minutes, I'll need two days to prepare. So when there are limitations or parameters given to a speaker or a writer, there's, there's got to be much more intentionality. So given two minutes, Churchill couldn't just say anything. He couldn't waste any words. He had to be very careful about what he said. In the case of Psalm 119 or, or here in the book of Lamentations, time had to be taken to be careful about the way the words were being written. And so it wasn't in a, a hurried sort of like kind of, we sometimes just sort of vomit out our, oh, this is not what Jeremiah did. 
He was very careful. He had to be because of the kind of poetry that it was. The language invites the reader to sit in the awful and not glance over or gloss over what's happening. So not only is it, is it intentional and particular about the way it's written, but it's, it's also very descriptive. The language he uses conjures up images and feelings and emotions. The metaphors are jaw-dropping and are mind-searing. Poetry is not meant to be read or studied like maybe other parts of the Bible, like the book of Romans, where you might, you might unpack every word and look for the theological meaning. The descriptions given in the book of Lamentations are poetry. They're meant to connect with a deep part of, of who we are. They, they draw out images that explain what is going on in his heart and what he sees in his devastating experiences. If there was a documentary filmmaker who could have been there, you know, they would have captured it all on film. They would have, they would have put beautiful music to accompany the whole thing. We would have watched it. We would have wept. But of course, there were no cameras. And there's no movie about it. So we have poetry. God-inspired poetry to help us connect with the devastating loss that he felt. And that's what poetry does. You know, I, I've had the chance to go to the Rocky Mountains, uh, and there's something about standing at the base of the Rocky Mountains that if I want to explain it, I, could, I mean, I suppose I could use facts and figures. I could look them up. This is how many tons of rock are in the mountains. This is how tall they are. But that doesn't really communicate the thing that I want you to, to know about my experience at the Rocky Mountains. Um, what I need to describe that is, is I need poetry. I need to be able to use words that help you experience what I experienced standing there at the glory of the Rockies and, and the smallness that I felt. And here God uses poetry to connect in a deep level. So another, another thing uh, about this lament that I find uncomfortable is the way Jeremiah places the blame squarely on God. In, in chapter 3, in verses 1 to 4, he says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He goes on to say that he's broken my teeth with gravel and trampled me in the dust. I mean, can you say these things about God? Can we blame God for our pain? I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that. But this is in the Bible. And if you believe like I do, that this word was inspired by the very breath of God, then that's, that means something. That means by his sovereign and perfect plan that these words would be here for us to read so that we would learn something. There's got to be some meaning to why God would put this in his word. And it's not just here. You, you see it all through the Psalms and the prophets, the same kind of writing. Why would God put this in his scripture? Well, I, don't, I can't presume to know why God does anything. Um, but I was, I was looking at your website, and I, I came across a, um, a, a, a midweek meditation from last year that Pastor Jeff gave on Psalm 69, a psalm of lament. And Pastor Jeff said, why is this here? 
And he said, maybe it's so that we might learn to pray likewise. Maybe so that we might follow David's example, or in this case, Maybe it's so that we might follow Jeremiah's example, that we might be able to plumb the depths of our emotion, our heart with God. And we don't need to be quick about it or act really positive about things when they're not positive. And there's ample evidence that he can handle it. I mean, remember, David was called a man after God's own heart. So we've seen that Lamentations is honest, it's unhurried. And last, I want to talk about the hope from this book of Lamentations. And maybe it seems strange to talk about the hope in such a kind of a sad book, right? But I believe there's an incredible amount of hope here. The Bible is a book that speaks of God's infinite love for his people and the gospel. The good news that comes off these pages is that there is no pain, there is no sorrow, there is no horror, there is no difficulty or pain or loss that you could feel, no cry of your heart that is too much for God. I mean, sometimes these words, they seem like they kind of go over the top. And yet, this was inspired by God for us to have in Scripture. There is hope when you consider the depth of emotion that is expressed in these words. God put this in our Bible. And doesn't it offer hope to you to know that you can't scare God off? You can't scare him off with your expressions of pain or even anger. He's not running away because you offended him. He wants what's deep inside. He wants our very hearts. He's not some unfeeling, cold, cosmic babysitter. We see his emotion throughout the canon of Scripture. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the life of Jesus himself. Compassion, tenderness, kindness, anger, forgiveness. There's hope because we can be honest. We can search our hearts and, be, and bring that to the Lord. We also find hope in the words themselves. Hidden in the middle of chapter 3 are verses that we often sing in church. Lamentations 3.22. Valerie, when we were having dinner last night, referenced this passage. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. These are words of hope. And they're nestled right in there in the midst of chapters of devastation and confusion and pain and suffering. He doesn't say, you know, never mind, everything is great. No, he follows these verses with a continued expression of his pain. But it's almost like he takes a deep breath and he says, there is another truth that is true right now in the midst of this, and that is, that your compassions never fail. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And to me, one of the things that, that makes these words so hopeful is the fact that they are where they are. You know, they, there are words of God's tender mercies and his compassion and his faithfulness all over Scripture, but the fact that they exist here in the middle of this lament, it, it's a little different, isn't it? It's like when you hear someone share of God's amazing provision in a time of great need. And you hear that and you're like, wow, God is awesome. I mean, God is providing for all our needs all the time. You know, our oxygen and the sun. But when there's a testimony of the Lord's provision in a time of, of desperation, there, there's something different about the way that strikes you. And, 
Or, or maybe God's amazing comfort in a time of great loss. It's the same thing, but when it comes from that place, there's some kind of deeper sort of uh, connection. Uh, I, I know I feel that. And these words, I, I find them very hopeful just because of the place that they are in Scripture. They are new every morning. His compassions never fail. So I, I don't know what your situation is this morning or maybe what it's been over the last years. It sounds like some of you are feeling dry and struggling. Our own journey in our family, it has been a journey of difficulty. We've struggled. And it's interesting, you know, I, I've spent most of my life trying to make things work. Um, there's work to be done. We have to get busy, you know. There's things that we got to do. No need in, in uh, sitting around and talking about how bad things are. There's this, there's this beautiful painting by Rembrandt of Jesus and the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee in the storm. And the painting captures the violence of the sea and the wind and the chaos on the boat. And, and there's this guy, they're, they're, you know, he's got people all over the boat doing various things. There's this one guy in the middle of the boat holding on to the mast, almost like he's trying to keep it from coming off the ship, like anybody could do that, right, in the middle of a storm. But that's me, you know, hey, we got stuff to do. This mast, if it falls, we're in trouble. Everyone help me out. Um, we got things to do. No use in hanging your head and thinking about how bad things are. Or, or maybe I'm the guy running around to make sure everyone's okay. Hey, are you all right? This is terrible. What's happening here? Are you okay? I'm not thinking about what, what maybe I need. I don't need anything. I need to help others. My favorite songwriter is Rich Mullins. And he wrote this song, Hold Me Jesus. And he says, hold me Jesus because I'm shaken like a leaf. When I hear those words, I'm, I'm thinking of other people. I'm not shaken like a leaf. I'm a leader. I'm a, I'm a missionary. I gotta, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm strong. I have to be strong. I have to get it done. That's what other people do. Other people shake like a leaf. And I understand why. It's hard out there. But the Lord has been merciful and gracious. Over these last years, taking us through some difficulties have introduced me to the reality of my own need, my own frailty. And I'm moving from dishonesty about what is true to trying to be more honest. And it has, it has brought me to a new level of intimacy with God. You know, the idea that I would understand why you might be hurting and not think that I might be, that's just ridiculous. That's delusional and it's dishonest. I'm thankful it wasn't the, the Babylonians that came and took me away. Um, but we've been through some rough times. And it's not been anything terribly different, probably from a lot of, a lot of you have faced. Trouble in, in work, strain in, in the family, things like that. But I found that my ability to kind of make it work, sort of push through things, I found it was failing. Wasn't able to do it like I used to be able to. And it was very disorienting. You know, kind of my go-to ways of handling things were not, they weren't working out. I was trying harder. If I just try harder, it'll make it work. And it wasn't happening. I kept going. And when the going gets tough, you, you got to keep going. And, and I was leaking. Uh, my family saw the worst of it. I was hurting, and I, I really didn't know what to do about it. I was shaking like a leaf. By God's grace, the Lord used disappointment and pain to help me see him and to help me know that he is there in the middle of the struggle. 
I spoke to him, I'm learning, I'm learning to speak to him in a more honest and unhurried way. And in there, I'm finding hope, the real hope that the Bible talks about, that I've told everyone I know, you know, the, the hope that I, you send me to go and tell people about, I'm actually starting to believe it for myself. I think that's good. Rich Mullins goes on to say in his song, uh, I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than take what you give that I need. And I can really relate to that. I, I'm, I'm that guy that's like, I have this desperate need for something, and you offer it to me. I'm like, oh, no, no, thanks, I'm good. You know, hey, you should offer that to so-and-so. They really need it. Um, but God is showing me through the experience of pain and suffering and through the experience of coming to him with that pain and suffering what it means to see him provide for my needs. And you know, it's just pride. It's just pride that, that keeps me from being honest about that kind of stuff. I want you to think I'm great. I also am desperate for, for people's approval, and I'm in a leadership position where I've got to make pretty hard decisions, and usually people are mad. I mean, somebody is. And I don't know what to do with that. I, I, I think I'm pretty great. I think if you listened long enough, you'd believe me, you know? And I try really hard to help you understand. But listen, I have found that that isn't working. Um, and the Lord, in his sovereign way, you know, he's just pushing me into these positions where I've, I have to disappoint people. And that's something I've tried my whole life to avoid. And it's also something that has driven me to my knees and has helped me to discover that there in the difficulty, in the struggle, is Christ. And there's intimacy and there's connection and there's depth and that sorrow that I never knew. I mean, I knew about it. I could tell everyone about it. But it is through the, the, the lament, the, just the act of being honest and unhurried, that I have seen hope in God that I, that I am so thankful for. So I believe that learning to lament is just, is just one pathway forward for how we can grow in love and uh, toward one another, for how we can grow in faith, how we might be people of joy, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Maybe we can be like the Thessalonians. It's kind of funny when you think about it, to be sad. It's not that you have to be sad, it's just that you have to be honest about what you're dealing with and bring that to the Lord. Laments one way that we can know the good news in the midst of the storm. Well, Jeremiah was taken away with the people of Jerusalem into captivity. There they were punished. Uh, God punished them for the disobedience. Jeremiah and Isaiah had warned the kings of Judah, but they refused to turn back to God. Now they were slaves. They had broken God's covenant and turned away from him to worthless idols and to their own appetites. Their situation was bleak. Many years later, one whose situation was perfect, who was living in perfect union with God, laid it aside. He was perfectly obedient. He'd never sinned. Jesus was God in the flesh, and he would suffer like a slave. He was crucified like a criminal, and later he would rise from the dead, demonstrating his power over all things and, and securing the truth that his promises he keeps. He suffered for my bleak situation so I wouldn't have to. Because of our sin, we're separated from God in captivity to our own desires and sin. But Jesus, the perfect 
spotless one, sacrificed himself so that we would not have to be slaves anymore. Luke chapter 4 captures Jesus' first sermon in the synagogue. It's interesting how he begins his ministry. It says, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In the time of Jeremiah, there was a desperate kind of poverty. They were literal prisoners, and they were oppressed at the hands of their captors. The Jews would, would later be freed from that captivity, but they would turn back. They would turn away from the Lord, back into poverty and blindness and captivity, just like me just like the kings who wouldn't listen, just like you, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. But Jesus has come. He has come and he's brought healing and vision and freedom. And he's brought love for you and for me. Believe me, he is not interested in just the surface stuff of our lives. And there is something to be said about this gift of lament and the way that it offers us an opportunity to connect at the deep places of our heart. And there we can find him. And there we can know a new kind of joy and a new kind of healing. Listen, this is the good news of the gospel. This is good news to us who are in the storm. This is good news to the whole world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the good news of your word this morning that says that you are with us. As Pastor Jeff said earlier, you would never leave or forsake us. And Lord, we know that to be true. We've memorized verses that tell us it's true. I pray that it would be the experience of each person in this place. Lord, that more and more it would describe the way I experience the challenges that I face. To know that you are there. To know beyond knowledge. Lord, to know that you are good and that you are accomplishing wonderful things. And even through suffering, we can find you there in ways that meet and bless and love and heal. Thank you for this body. I pray that you would encourage, that you would bless, Lord, that you would heal where it's needed. Bring comfort to your people and lead us, Lord, in the path everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen.